like to welcome everyone back to the Duck Pond Wall, a show here on WEHC-FM 90.7, WISE-FM 90.5 WISE, where we get to sit down and talk with an Emory and Henry person who is doing great things in the world and find out what the story is and get the scoop, so to speak. And today, I'm very excited to be in the studio with Eric Young, Emory and Henry class of 1993. How you doing, Eric? Great, doing great today. Love to be here at Emory Henry any day. Well, it's t- it's fun to have you here. A lot of times we have to do these things by Zoom, and I offered you that because you're in Tazewell, which is more than five minutes away, but you were in the area, so I'm tickled that you get to see the studio today. Have you been Have you been in here before? I've not been in the studio here before. Actually, it's the first time in the new arts building for me. So this is an amazing building. I mean, the artwork is beautiful. Well, the reason I have pulled Eric in today to talk is because, well, I I would say we took your name in vain, but it was actually in joy. We took your name in joy this summer when we did some programming. And it made me sort of circle back to the fact that I had a lot of your friends saying to me, You need to talk to Eric Young because he is doing great things in the world. Tell everybody what your position is right now. I'm the county administrator for Tazewell County. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's the county executive of what is commonly referred to in larger counties and other states. And uh, basically, I try to run the county government. How long have you been doing that? I've been the county administrator now for five years. Uh, Prior to that, I was the county attorney for 12. What does it mean to be the county attorney? That feels like a lot of headaches. Is that my imagination? It's very interesting. Before that, I did general practice, and it's very similar to that. I worked with the Public Service Authority for um, utility easements. I worked with the Industrial Development Authority for uh, economic development, financing. I did a lot of different things, a lot of right-of-way issues. I did a lot of um, local government. I've always been a big constitutional law fan. And being in government as an attorney was, was really a lot of fun, very interesting to me. It's, it's like being an attorney general for a little bitty speck on the, on the map, but, um, but it was a lot of fun. What did you major in at Emory & Henry? I majored in political science. Okay. Also majored in economics. You were a double major. Double major. Ooh. And then I minored in uh, sociology. Okay, my so goodness. those three. Underachiever? Underachiever, that's right. Well, that's look right. at you. So where'd you go to law school? Uh, the University of Virginia. Was the job with Tazewell your first job? No, I, I bounced around quite a bit. I um, practiced in Bristol for two years when I first got out of law school. Okay. And then I uh, had the opportunity to run a satellite office for a law firm in Stewart, Virginia. Yeah. So I got to live there for a while. And then I started my own law firm in Tazewell in '01. And I did that for about three years and started doing the uh, Board of Supervisors County Attorney work part-time in 04 and then full-time in 06. That's one of the reasons I went back to Tassel is it was more about what I did rather than how much I made. And I had a lot of friends from law school. They went to D.C. and Chicago and and worked for some big firms for some big bucks. But I've really enjoyed trying to feel like I had an impact in my community, in my life. so That's a sweet thing to hear. So you grew up in Tazewell. I did. I'm from Tazewell. I'm a Tazewell bulldog. Look sure at am. your little bulldog guy. So how'd you end up at Emory & Henry? My father went to Emory & Henry. He played football with um, Sonny Wade, Scrapper Brody, Lou Perry, all those guys. I didn't know that. Yeah, he Who sure did. Dad? Buddy Young. We used to come over here to homecoming games and stuff when I was a kid, and he walked me around campus and everything. And so I just didn't think about going anywhere. I 
actually, this is the only place I applied to for college. Is it really? It really is, yeah. And did you regret that, or were you happy, like, the first minute you were here? I was thrilled to be here. I loved Emory & Henry, and I will I really, it just, it's in my soul. I yeah. mean, it really is. Um, I was an only child, so pile me and Hillman with 50 other guys. There's always somebody to play ball with or something, play cards with something. There's always somebody there, and as an only child, that was just fantastic for me. I, I loved it here. The living conditions in Hillman at the time were not exactly the Martha Washington, mm-hmm. but I, I didn't care. I really didn't care. You know, cold showers and uh, drafty windows really didn't bother me because I was, I was having a good time. Well, that is cool. Well, I love the attitude that you wanted to go back to serve your home community. We we talk a lot about doing that. And so you've had a very fulfilling career doing that. It has. I really enjoyed it. I've had opportunities. Um, in 2013, the state amended the coal and gas severance um, statutes on uh, those taxes. And I was able to form or be on a committee and help write that law. That was fun. Yeah. Um if you know Tazewell County, we're big into to coal and gas. So that was that was a big issue for us. That was fun, and I was able to um, participate. The state bar had a board for local government, so I was able to influence some things there. But uh, the thing I took the most pride in is the county attorney is trying to bring, you know, objectivity and be agnostic politically right. and, and steer the ship as far as what you can and can't do because boards want to do things, and sometimes those things aren't allowed by law, and you have to sort of ignore the politics of it and, and try to be the umpire and call the balls and strikes. And I really felt like that was sort of my calling was to try to do that. How do you do that? How do you manage to be part of a political machine and sort of kind of keep the politics out of it. How do you walk that line? It's tough when you're appointed. It's tough to look at people that appoint you and and pay your payday and they want to do something. And it's not necessarily nefarious. It's just the law doesn't allow them to do that at times. And you have to say, no, we can't do that. Right. I'm sorry. Well, and do they respond well? I will say that, yes, they do. Uh, I have really not had anybody that um, screamed, I'm going to fire you or something like mm-hmm. that. They're like, oh, generally they'll say, OK. And But I, I will say that my philosophy with that is a little bit different than some attorneys who are just, you know, Mr. No, because the public has a right to be governed by the law, but they also have a right to elect people to do things. And you can't you can't let the laws that constrict them stop them from exerting their will politically. Oh, that's interesting. So you have to find a way. Sometimes you can find some exceptions to the rules. Sometimes you can find a different way to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. A lot of times we end up working through charities for things that the governments don't necessarily do. That's that's a that's a big issue. But yeah. um, and we have to accomplish some things. We don't have zoning in Tazewell County, so you really can't regulate land use wow. like we do in other counties. So right. that was interesting, but. But it's, it's keeping that balance, too, that's part of the, the art of the job. And it's more meaningful to me than the other attorney work that I was doing. Well, and I wonder, this may be a simplistic way to, to say it, but does it help that you know the law? I mean, it's not like you're just saying, oh, I'm like some CEO somewhere who would just say, this is how I want it to be. You're saying, no, no, here's what the rules are. Here's what the law is, and this is what you can and can't do. Does that help? It helps me now in my job now as the administrator because it's a time savings 
thing in a lot of ways. Um, I can read the lease for the copier. You know, <laughs> uh, there are things that I can do that we don't have to use the attorney for. But um, I will say, just like I think anybody taking a public office, the issues that you end up dealing with are not necessarily the issues you thought you were going to deal with when you took the office. No. And that's, that's what's been the most interesting part of this ride so far for me. Can you share a story of a surprise, or do you, would you rather not? Oh, I have several. <laughs> um, when I took the office in 2018, we were in a financial crisis. Uh, the coal industry had been in decline for about eight years at that point, and a lot of our revenues came from coal and gas severance, and the, the previous boards had operated under the assumption that that would turn around. Yeah. So they kept spending at the traditional rate, when the, and the money's coming in weren't covering it. Right. So we had to cut about $4.5 million out of a 32-odd million dollar local budget. Mercy. And uh, we closed a couple elementary schools. We laid off some people. It was difficult times. Yeah. I, I told my wife, I hope that if I did it just right, I'll make everybody mad a little bit instead right. of just some people mad a lot. Right. But we got through that, and, you know, um, I really used my Emory education more in that time than I did my UPA law education. Tell me how. Um, first of all, you have, I had a pretty good understanding of economics. I knew why we were there. It reminded me, um, when I graduated from Emory, I had the, uh, you know, the major in political science and economics, and minor in sociology. And I told my dad, I said, well, I know why I'm unemployed. <laughs> I know exactly where that puts me. But, um, but in the job, it really helped me understand how we had to reach out to businesses to help them grow, to get new businesses in the county to replace the coal industry. I understood a little bit about finance, but I got a quick education on accounting. Well, I bet so. That was, that was part of it, too. But the, um, the sociology and the political science background helped me understand how you had to sort of spread the pain mm. among various groups and not just pick a loser and, and, and make them pay for that. So... That's very insightful. It was it was very interesting, and then the um, we got through that crisis and sort of felt like we'd ride the ship. And um, when you take the job as county administrator, you don't think about this as the attorney. I had read it, but in the fine print, there's a line that says, "In the event of an emergency, you will be the director of emergency management for the county." Oh my gosh! Well, flash floods maybe a forest fire, maybe a blizzard. I had seen that come up a few times over the years. Um, we were in a state of emergency for three years. Yeah. So, yeah. And because, there were yeah. no manuals for pandemics. No, I'm sure not. So that was an amazing time for us. I will, will never forget Virginia Department of Emergency Management got us on the phone with the CDC, the county administrators and county executives, in March of 2020, and they said, here comes this disease. And untreated, if we do nothing, it's going to kill 3% of the population. Holy cow. And then they start going through, if you're older, if you're overweight, if you smoke, if you drink, if you have diabetes, it's going to be much worse. And in the back of my mind, I know sort of the demographics of my population. I'm like, that number's going to be higher than 3%. And they scared us to death to but, do to start out with, and then they're like, now, what they wanted to which do. is exactly what they wanted to do. And then they said, now here's our plan. You know, it was it was a very frightening time for us. Um, 
we had to set up um, alternate hospital sites. There, there were a lot of preparations that, thank God, were never used, but that the public really was not aware of or not made aware of. Mm-hmm. And um, we bought all kinds of uh, medical equipment. We bought uh, tents. We bought all, all kinds of things to um, deal with COVID had it gotten much worse than sure. it did. Yeah. And um, but all throughout that affair, you know, politically, three quarters of our people thought it was just a left wing scam. Right. And then another quarter of our people thought that it was going to crawl under the door of their bedroom and get them at night. Yeah. You know, so you had people that were actually terrified of it. Yeah. And then you had people that thought it was a joke. And you're trying to referee that fight at the same time. So. That was something I'll probably talk about for the rest of my life. And well, I could, I'm I could sure. talk for an hour on that. Well, wait, so who do, in, a, in a situation like that, where do you go for the kind of insight? I mean, you had 14 majors, but one of them wasn't psychology. <laughs> so where do you go for the sort of insight on how to deal with people and who are so, you know, polar, such polar opposite thinking? Well, getting the public's cooperation is, is huge. I mean, you, you can... Uh, buy all the masks you want. If they don't wear them, it doesn't matter. You right. can buy all the hand sanitizers you want. It doesn't matter. You can tell them not to gather, and if they do, it doesn't matter. Um, and I really can't say that we were very successful in altering people's behavior because people tended to go forward and do what they wanted to do. Uh, eventually, uh, the disease spread, and it became a self-enforcing mechanism. Mm. You know, Once people started getting sick, once they started having relatives that were sick, then people became a little more conscious of how they how they were behaving. I didn't know that I would know my hospital administrators on a first name basis. You know, when I started this job, sure, had, we had to learn that too. We added bays at the emergency rooms. Uh, we did we did a lot. The federal government was very generous with money that they gave us to make a lot of preparations. And um, then when the vaccine came out. That was a entirely different affair. But, um, but still dealing with people who saw it very differently. Very differently. But um, the people that wanted their vaccinations wanted them right then. Mm-hmm. And um, we didn't have the vaccines. Sure. You know, there were limited numbers when it first came out. We put on clinics. Uh, we set up our fairgrounds to do clinics. I had this conversation with my uh, auditor last year. The federal government was generous, but after the fact, they're going to go back and look at it. Yeah. <laughs> and they couldn't understand why I paid overtime to my animal shelter workers. And what I had explained to them was I had to set up a vaccination clinic to vaccinate 2,000 people in a day. The only staff that I had in a county my size that knew how to run a large-scale vaccination clinic were my animal shelter folks. How because we do rabies clinics about every other summer. That's interesting. So they knew how the process, they couldn't get the shots. They weren't nurses. Right. And we had some nurses that volunteered for that and bless their hearts. They spent some long, cold days on their feet giving hundreds of shots. But our animal shelter staff knew how it had to work. They knew how they had, the traffic had to flow. They knew how uh, the, the tables had to be set up. They knew how the paperwork had to be done because it was basically the same event. Yeah, that is so fascinating. I would never were, have thought yeah, of that. Did you think of that? Did you look that. around and say, oh, the animal clinic knows how to do this? 
Well, we met with Carillion, and Carillion was paying all the staff for that. And when they started talking about, well, how should we do this? How should we do this? My emergency uh, medical services personnel, they're like, well, this is what we do for the clinics. You know, this is what we do for the rape. This is going to be lined up similar to that. So when I realized that, I just brought my animal shelter manager there and said, okay, how would you do this? And they, and they were spot on with that. So that is brilliant. You just, when you're in a um, less affluent county, smaller county, you wear a lot of different hats. Right. You wear a lot of different hats. But in some ways, that probably keeps you kind of nimble because you don't know just one thing. Do a lot of mental gymnastics yeah. from day to day. It's a, lot, it's a lot like a liberal arts education. I mean, you know, you don't just study one thing. You know a whole lot of different areas. A lot of little things. I've learned a lot of engineering in my job because I've learned a lot about roads. And I've learned a lot about running rescue squads. I've learned a lot about landfills. I've learned a lot about water and sewer. Not pleasant things to talk about. No, but, but, but important. Right. And, and government... I think Run Best does those things in a way that nobody realizes they're being done. Hmm. Well, tell me this. How did you all end up doing through COVID? I mean, I mean, did, did you end up seeing those dire numbers become a reality? Oh, no, no. We, we, were, um, we actually ended up a little bit better, I think, than a national average, which was like one-tenth of a percent, I think, something like that, of the population oh, that, that died. They, it did. I was really worried because our population was so much older. Mm. I was really worried about that. Yeah. But fortunately, by their being older, I think they were more conscious of yeah. it and took care of themselves. Good. Like I said, once they started seeing that, that it was real and people were actually getting sick. Yeah. But we, we did we did pretty good. And I felt like um, the vaccination clinics were a big help. You know, to yeah. help us continue to function. So good for you. I want to remind everybody that we're speaking today with Eric Young, Emory and Henry class of 1993, and the reason we spoke your name in joy this summer is mm-hmm. because we had some members of the Taswell community come and talk to our more than a vacation group about this fantastic art inst- installation that you all have just done in Taswell. And it was a story that just touched everybody in the room. Can I get you to tell that story about sort of how it started and, and how it's been received? Sure. Um, a lot of controversy about the monuments. Right. And like many towns in the South, our courthouse has a Confederate soldier standing in front. So we had a referendum in Tassel County. The, the state allowed us to do that. And I don't know how many other counties have done that, but we, we had a referendum. Does the statue stay or go? And we had over 70% voted to keep the statue for a whole lot of reasons. So the board decided that the solution was perhaps not removing monuments, but more monuments. So the board decided to do a monument to our African-American heritage in Tassel County, and that turned into a mural. And I'll give credit to the artist Ellen Elms did a magnificent job with it. It's beautiful. It's 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 really beautiful. And uh, Lou Perry, Emory Henry graduate, is uh, first on the wall. Exactly. But uh, the monument turned out really well. And what I like about the monument and the way we set it up is, I hope that children and and that's who you really are trying to reach. Mm-hmm. It, it, Concrete figures don't get children's attention, but these these colorful monument uh, murals did. I hope that they look at that and don't think about the past. I hope they look at that and think if those people could do what they did against the odds that they faced, then how much more can I do in this day and time? 
So we dedicated the monument not to those that were painted, but to those who would see it. I love and that. I and really, I really feel like um, that's one of the more poetic things that we get to do in the job. But I really felt like that that gives some hope to the future. And if you're really going to change attitudes, you, know, you can tear down the Confederate statue if you like. But if you're really going to change attitudes, if you show people that against incredible odds, these African-Americans um, did some amazing things. And um, there was a selection process for who got to go on the wall. And I, I advocated tirelessly for Mr. Knox. He was born a slave and became an attorney. And, and he was, was he the first African-American attorney in Tazewell County or something? He actually practiced in West Virginia. Oh, okay. Across, and if you know where Tazewell County is, Very close. He, he lived in Tazewell County but practiced in West Virginia because they wouldn't let him practice in Virginia at the time. Um. But from an attorney's point of view, someone that the law does not recognize as a person when they're born and then they are an officer of the court, that is a huge transition to go from someone that the courts say you're not a person to you're an officer and you're allowed to bring cases and suits in this court mm-hmm. is is a tremendous transition within one person's lifetime. Yeah. He was also, to my mind, a conciliatory figure in my mind because um, in his story, if you read his story, the person that owned him once the war was over said, OK, you're going to be free, so you're going to have to learn to read and write and actually educated him and paid for much of his education. And you know, Tassel's experience with slavery was a little different. Uh, there were slaves in Tassel County, but there weren't hundreds of them, like um, the massive plantations that people think about when they think about mm-hmm. slavery. It was one or two, and, and, and a lot of them had some emotional connections. Um, when we had the debate over the statute, this lady um, spoke at the hearing, and she said, um, she said, well, one of my ancestors was a slave, and after she was freed, her master married her. So oh my I have ancestors on you know that were both master and slave. Well, that is, a, but that a is an interesting experience. story, though, yeah. isn't it? Well, the people who came to do the presentation this summer were just fantastic, and and I think that what our folks responded so strongly to was it was something done in addition to what's already there. So you know, it, it wasn't. It wasn't that he had to remove one thing and put something else up. It was it was telling a broader story. It was telling a fuller story, which unfortunately we just don't always do. And so I think they really responded strongly to the fact that it was a more robust telling of the story of Southwest Virginia, but also especially of Tazewell County. Well, I, I thought it was a really good way to uh, let people know that, that there were contributions to our county. I mean, there were... There are doctors and scientists on that wall and and teachers and lawyers. And, I mean, um, there were a lot of important people on that wall that um, that wrote a lot of not just Tassel County history, but mm-hmm. Virginia history and, right. and some that influenced American history. Right. And I think that's a, that's a story not just because of their race, but because of who they are. Regardless of their people. race, they yeah. would have been good stories. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I said... Um, when we did the dedication, I said, you know, these are people that are painted here today but refused to let others paint them when they were alive. And they lived their lives. And, you know, and, and like you say, at that particular moment in time, that took an extra dose of courage. Yes, yeah. it did quite a bit. Well, we love the story. I've been very excited 
at the response of our people. There were what? some that thought it would bring out the worst mm. in our people. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, there were people that wanted to do the monument inside the courthouse for fear of vandalism. Mm-hmm. But I really feel like our people are better than that. And thus far, I'm right. Good. Because I'm, I'm hoping that we're better than that. Well, and it's in it's in such a beautiful spot right there next to the courthouse and with the, the statue, the Confederate statue, basically in the foreground. I love that you said that this was about, that you were dedicating it to the kids who were going to see it and maybe think differently about what what their role in the world can be. Be inspired and, and be ambitious and think, you know, you can, you can do great things whoever you are. Sure. Well, Eric, believe it or not, we are plumb out of time. Thank you so much for being with us today and for talking about the great work you're doing in Tazewell. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, if there's anything I can ever do to help you or, or round up anybody else for you, I'd be happy to. Actually, I'm going to ask you one more question. Sure, fire away. So when you were a student at Emory, what's something that really sticks with you today and sort of influences what you do professionally or personally? As far as classes that I took I took uh, Dan Quinlan's, um, Quinlan's uh, Lord and Peasant in the Making of the Modern World. It was a senior seminar, and um, I left there every day feeling like the world I walked out into was different than the world as I saw it when I walked in there. Interesting. It really gave me new perspectives, and, and that's what I loved about Emory. I had many classes like that one, but that one sticks out in my mind, and I I can't say something about Emory without mentioning Dr. Saliba. You know, I had the opportunity to work on an economic development project in Tassel County, and the economic development project was with an Israeli company. I was able to go to Israel to meet with the company, and I uh, had Dr. Saliba for many, many classes on the politics of the Middle East. And I could almost hear his voice in my head, you know. But we got there, and uh, some of our board members were like, well, why would these Israelis be investing money in southwest Virginia? And I understood pretty quickly why. You know, they weren't going to do it. They they can't get uh, cheap labor over there, and they, they don't have a lot of territory, and they don't, you know. I understood the the region, and I would have never thought in my career in Tassel County that I would actually put that to use in my life, my understanding of that, and, and I, I thought of Dr. Sleeva quite often. Isn't that crazy? It's true, and you know, I took um, Dr. Fisher's um, politics of Appalachia class, right. and that helped me tremendously oh, in my job. I owe a lot to Emory and Henry College, I really do. Well, you had a, the powerhouse of faculty members, that's for sure. I felt like I learned a a lot about how the world operates. Isn't that funny? I love it. And here in Southwest Virginia, you learned about the world. That's right. Gotta and love it. Got to use it. Got to use it. <laughs> you know, you learn a lot in college you never use. But. So, well, Eric Young, Emory and Henry Class of 1993 and County Administrator for Tazewell County. Thank you so much for being our guest today on the Duck Pond Wall. Well, thank you very much. And thanks, everyone, for listening in today uh, to the Duck Pond Wall. I hope you'll stay tuned to WEHC for what's coming up next because there's great stuff in the lineup because WEHC is the voice of Southwest Virginia.